everyone and welcome to the 20th Thinking Aloud About Film podcast. Today we're on the 11th discussion, trying to delineate different contexts uh, for the cinema of Hu Xiaoshen. Today we're, I think, on our second Edward Yang uh, film. Uh, it's currently playing on movie and it's called The Terrorizers. So, Richard, tell me a bit about <laughs> Who are these terrorizers? <laughs> you have to do a bit of work to piece together what's going on. But essentially, there are three couples, uh, a young photographer and his girlfriend. There's a, a, a novelist and her husband, who's a, a, a lab researcher. There's a young woman who maybe is a con woman or maybe is a prostitute. Um, <laughs> and their lives, maybe is both, yeah. Initially, they have no connection, but their lives kind of intertwine in a in an interesting and and um eventually tragic way or maybe they don't because it's not clear how much of what you're seeing is reality and how much is the the fiction of the novelist's okay. book I think. um i didn't have that thought until the very end actually well until the episode before the end to be clear um so i think it's worth mentioning that the film begins on this image of elizabeth taylor and then you see Richard Burton, and then you realize that it's about who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. The film is who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, so, you know, to me, that frames the film. At the heart of it is a marriage and uh, the illusions under which people live in that marriage and the various shattering of those illusions you know, and the thing about the baby and wanting a baby, not having a baby, right? And in this one, you know, the marriage disintegrates much more firmly, let's say, than it does in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. And the other ending thought that I had uh, is the, the vomit at the end, right? Which kind of, you know, for some reason made me think, of Jean-Paul Sartre's nausea, yeah, that kind of, you know, existence is, you know, nauseating and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's interesting, because that, that ending actually put me in mind of something far more lowbrow, which is the, the ending of the dream ah. season on Dallas. My God, you and bloody Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> but they, it's really interesting because uh -huh. it was the same year. And um, although I think it's, it's obviously just coincidence, but yeah, Pam Ewing wakes up and um, the whole the whole of the last 13 weeks or whatever has been a dream. And uh, okay, yeah, it, well, it's very I, similar. Um, yes, who knows, right? Um, but I'd be surprised because, you know, Edward Young strikes me as a very kind of highbrow um, filmmaker. Um, and it's interesting. Oh, I think I think the influence can only be the other way around because this came out in mid nineteen eighty six, so it, it's uh, Dallas watching <laughs> the other way around. That perhaps. I very much uh, <laughs> doubt. Um, but it's worth saying that it took me about forty five minutes to begin to piece the people together, right? Like the you know the first forty five minutes. Of the film, I was admittedly watching it on television, so my concentration, you know, was not the best, you know, and I was having trouble thinking, who are these people 
you know, what happens, how are they related to each other, where is this going, right? Because, you know, at a certain point, I couldn't even figure out, like, how many couples are there, <laughs> and And I kept getting them mixed up. Uh, and I must say that as the film went on, I became really engrossed in it. I mean, it's a little like, for instance, like Robert Altman's Shortcuts. There's all these apparently unrelated stories, some of which come together and some of which don't. And in this one, the, you know, as you say, initially you're trying to work out how these things, how these various events you're being presented with are related. And the answer is actually at that point, they're not related at all. These, these events kind of come together almost coincidentally, because uh, essentially the, the connection be between the, the novelist and her husband and the rest of the plot only comes when the, the young con artist makes a, a random prank phone call and tells her her husband she's been having an affair with the husband which she hasn't but that's that's the point yeah. at which this becomes and actually i think it's worth mentioning that again just keeping with that existential thought of mine you know it really begins by by chance what brings these people all together is chance this thing of like contingency really where you know uh nothing has a path it's completely random we, we live in chaos right <laughs> you know and then you begin kind of maybe making patterns of things because you know initially what happens is there's a police stakeout uh there's some gangsters uh they get shot and caught and one of the girls ends up on the street then we find out that the photographer well we know we see immediately that the photographer is snapping this but what we later find out is that he's also taken this girl, yeah, to the hospital, yeah, and stayed with her until, yeah, she awakened. The photographer's girlfriend later reads the novel, and the girl is the one who makes the prank phone calls and the deliveries and stuff. But the thing is that the novel, and this is what's interesting about what's real and what's not real, the, the novel that the, the doctor's wife is writing contains the information that the girl has made the prank phone call, right? Um, but the novel is being written or has been written at the start of the film and then gets published and then wins a wins, you know, best novel of the year prize. I mean, how long is this? And this is all appears to have happened within weeks, right? But she's writing about events that you've, you've seen. And she's also happened. imagining events um, because, you know, at, at a certain point, yeah, she writes that the husband kills the lover. Uh, I what you see, you know, as an ending to the novel, which is not really, you know, what happens in the film, and which couldn't have happened anyway because it's too early. So, but actually, but this idea of fiction and reality, and um, you know, the way that they intersect. So it's too easy to say, oh well, this is fictional and this is real, because you also get a sense, very much in terms of the husband, the lab technician, that. He is completely imagining his own reality. You know, he, yeah. Uh, he's... Yeah. They're all kind of imagining different versions of what's going on. The, the novelist is writing her novel. The husband is um, making up because he wants to be promoted at work. So he's making up stories of what, what's happened. Then he doesn't get promoted, but he tells people he has been promoted. He then tells people he's everything's fine with his wife, but she's left him. The, the young girl kind of hooker is making up stories about what's going on as well. You know, she's phoning up saying she's been having an affair. You know, every, every, everyone is just creating their own version of reality. The, the novelist wakes up in bed at the end and you could interpret that as, OK, and it was all a dream. I think the, the, the answer is that it's telling you, well, some of this was 
not real some of but some of it was so you see two versions of the husband's death for instance well um, you know that one is the novel's ending and the other one is the real ending though the film i think makes that a lot clearer than you're sitting to suggest <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but no. it's not clear when you're first watching. No, as you're you watching know. it, as when you're you see the first it, version, you, you you think that that's the film's reality rather than mm. you know the the novel dramatized it. Yeah, and I, th- I think the thing is when you then having seen that, you then start to question a fair amount of what was happening earlier in the film. And I, I've I've looked at various reviews of this. And they all have different versions of what they think was the reality of the film and what, oh, well, what was the fiction in the film. Um, I I tried reading the Wikipedia entry, you know, just before uh, we started, just to get the plot right. And it's a very short entry. And the only thing that I gathered from it is that Frederick Jameson wrote an article on the film. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, it's very interesting because, of course, he's one of the foremost writers on postmodernism. Right. And you can tell why... For someone interested in in postmodernism, this would be such an intriguing film, right? Because, you know, it doesn't have a totalizing narrative. It's just, it's all fragments and, you know, and so on. So so I can see why it would be uh, of interest. You know, you get a pastiche of a story made from all of these different elements, yeah, that are what people believe, but which is, you know, not necessarily real, but yet you can distinguish you know, the belief uh, that people construct their lives out of from their reality, right? Uh, And even the Sartrean thing, you know, because Jameson was also like an existentialist, uh, and I mean, he was always a a Marxist, but, you know, an an existential type of Marxist uh, before he wrote on postmodernism. And you could see how, you know, all of those things as well about time, photography is about stopping time you know the decisive moment right? you know and on the other hand the guy is just about to be drafted in the army right so kind of time for him is stopping in different ways right one is his life gets put on hold through the draft you know whilst he himself is kind of capturing these moments that actually give meaning to the whole narrative in the end yeah mm. And and the other thing is with that photographer, you you know, he's presented as this kind of struggling artist, and then you just find out, oh, actually, because he goes back to his parents' house, and it's yes. this massive mansion. You know, he's I must say, you know, one there. of the things that I disliked about the film in the first forty-five minutes is that it felt to me such a film school film. You know, there was a period in my life where I was on a lot of juries of student film festivals and so on, and all the films were about like you know, suicide, despair, nausea, boredom, right? (laughs) And, you know, and often they were like rich kids making films about young filmmakers experiencing nausea, you know. (laughs) And this is exactly like that. I mean, substitute a photographer for the filmmaker. Yeah, but... Plus it's very, you know, that opening is very, like, you know, blow up or yeah, uh, whatever, you know. It's very, very, very okay, he's done the Virginia Woolf yeah. bit. That's the Antonioni yeah. bit, you know. It, it's, yeah, it's a little bit like that. In a way that we're, when we're talking about Taipei story, that we, we like that because it wasn't a film about film, you know. Whereas this kind of is more of a film about film. And it's a film about the structure of reality as well in, in, in that sense of, of uh, you know, questioning mm. what's real and what's fictional. And actually there's, um, I might so. not be the last shot in the film, but one of the last shots is of Taipei at night 
and uh, the husband is walking through all of these film posters, yeah, of the period. So anyway, I kind of, I didn't like that. And, you know, this thing about wearing sunglasses at yeah. night, like the Corey Hart song, you know, uh, I'm going to the <laughs> disco. And I mean, even the scams, you know, they didn't feel edgy enough for me or, you know, it could have it could have been more sordid and more violent and more gritty and, you know, yeah, more interesting, yeah. really, um, than they are. I mean, not that I think only gritty, sordid things are interesting. <laughs> but, you know, there was something poppy, superficial, not quite right about those scams, yeah? I think the thing is, it struck me that she, the girl wasn't a, you know, she wasn't actually a hooker. She was kind of playing at being a hooker. You know, she, she was sort of, so it was kind of like she was reenacting scams. She's Except seen on Except that's, films. you know, that that's... might be the way that you're interpreting it because of the actress, who's not very good. But actually, the film is telling you something different. I mean, this is a woman, you know, who uh, who kills, right? Who's who's got a knife, who kills, and who's involved in all these scams. She's got to be a lot wiser and smarter and grittier. And yeah, or 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 you know, does she? Because does that? Yeah, you know, um, because yeah, you do. Yeah, you do see her kill someone, but do you? Has that really happened? Oh, well, it has to have happened. No, I mean, let's go back to this for a while because I mean, you know, the only scene that you think is happening and then it turns out that it's a dramatization of something else is really the novel's ending. I don't think the film gives you any grounds of disputing the reality in quotation marks of any other aspect of the film. Well, other than the fact there seems to be no consequences to the fact that that that, that guy dies, you know, there's no, it's not mentioned. There's no, seems to be no investigation. Well, no, but do you, we, there, we is do, a, there is oh. a mention of it because there's that bit where the lab technician goes to his friend who's the police officer and says, you know, look at these people, yeah, and this photographer came to me and, you know, you might know them. And that's clearly a reference, you know, to the thing at the, at the beginning. But, you know, it's not a murder mystery. So actually, I think you, you know or expect for that mystery to be resolved, really. I mean, what's what's exceptional about the dream sequence novel ending is that you're not cued into it and you're not cued out of it, right? Yeah, and the only the only reason why you think that is not the film's reality is because then you see it unfold again in a different way, right? Yeah, but then it is pointed out in one article I read that you you see her wake up at the beginning of the film as well. I think I think the point is it's open for debate that it's not. You, you could interpret it out either way. I think that some of those events are are happening, and some of them are, or all of them are happening. Well, no, well, and, I, will, or, I would. Or some of them are I mean, events from know, the novel. I think. I mean, I'd have to see the film again. But really, the only time that it came into any question for me at all was in that ending, right? In mm. That dual ending. I think the thing is, if it if it is all if it did already happen, there's there's a whole time frame thing with well, the novel that just doesn't make sense. Maybe, because, so. but actually, you don't know how much time has passed. You don't know if this is like weeks later or a year later, or, you know, if um, publishing in Taiwan when there's a price involved happens very quickly. I mean, you know, to me, those are not grounds for disbelieving any of it. And actually, I think if you start saying, well, anything could happen, then actually nothing is grounded. You know, the film kind of loses complete interest. I mean, you know, so I, I, I do think that one has to be, one has to be given grounds 
for thinking this is an imagined bit or, you know, this is a fantastical bit. And really the only bit that I see of that is the novel's ending, which can't have happened yet. You know, it's as simple as that. They're all alive, right? So actually, you are given lots of clues, really. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, I think it's it's important to to distinguish that. Um, I want to talk about ethics and responsibility, right? Because um, the film offers you no, almost no psychological interiority, which I think is very interesting in the film. Yeah. Um, no guilt, no, yeah, like it's a, it's a film that shows you actions and does give you reasons for them occasionally, but it never explores feeling, you know, and I think that's very interesting because, you know, when the woman vomits at the end, right, like what is she vomiting for, yeah, is it her, her sense of responsibility, her culpability, right, like, you know, she's there uh, in, uh, you know, a posh bed with the sun streaming and the linen crisp, you know, and a man next to her. And basically, she has caused the death of her ex-husband. <laughs> so, and then you could argue, well, has she caused it? Or, you know, but, but certainly there's a sense in which she certainly pushed him in that direction or her actions have pushed him in that direction, right? The film never raises any of that. Not really, and it doesn't really show consequences of actions, really. Or people, or people exploring the consequences of their actions, like like the girl stabbing yeah. the guy. You know, she she doesn't really react. No. To that. She's done and that. again, she feels no yeah. no fear, uh, no remorse, no thrill. You don't see her after she does that. Actually, you know. Can, once it's signaled that the shadow knife, and that's what it's for, you you're shown her uh, touching it or touching her leg or opening it again. But that moment when she's just killed a guy in his hotel room, yeah, you don't see. There's not a shot of her afterwards or a close up of like the effect that that killing has had on her, right? You don't know whether it's made her gleeful or overexcited or thrilled or scared or you know like. Yeah, what has what has the effect of killing a man had on her? You don't know. <laughs> the film doesn't yeah, tell you. You don't know. The, so the interesting thing about the interesting about her, she so the actress um, was apparently she was someone that Ed, Edward Young met this girl, and she just told him that one of the things, things she liked doing for fun was um, making prank calls, and she said, and I, I made a prank call to this woman and told her I was having an affair with her husband. And that, that, so that being the, the, the girl who ends up playing the role in the film, right? And this was the germ of the idea for Edward Yang. And she is, so she, she's Eurasian. This is, and this is an interesting thing that we kind of wouldn't really be aware of watching the film, but that, so she's Eurasian and the implication is she's, or one, an interpretation is she's possibly the daughter of an American GI and a, um, and, and, and a Taiwanese woman, you know, possibly a Taiwanese prostitute, which is why the the mother is quite resentful of her. The the gang members she hangs out with are native Taiwanese, um, and the the upper class characters are all oh. uh, Mandarin speakers. So uh, again, coming back to the earlier films we were watching, so the, the, so there's that kind of degradation or delineation, sorry, between those 
groups of characters in terms of the the kind of ethnic groups they're from and the, the that the, lends the a kind of a nasty class background to the film though you know so all the mandarins are the educated upper class people the uh native people are all criminals and then a mixed race person is the very devil itself <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> so edward yang <laughs> yeah yeah and, uh, and uh, another interesting thing i found so a few articles referred to that character the the, the girl they they gave her, they said the character's name was white chick which isn't referred to anywhere in the film but apparently in the original english subtitles the the, the name was given in the subtitles as white chick um, whether that's a translation literal translation of the nickname she has in the in the film i don't, I don't know but as you say it, it does give a um another mm. layer to it doesn't it which is not necessarily a nice one <laughs> this this mode of storytelling where it's kind of a mosaic of information and you have to kind of work in your head to put it together and it only really makes sense at the end of the film or possibly afterwards is a is something that's become quite familiar with the you know, with the with the other edward yang film we saw but also with with the yes. Shen films of the same era that they they sort of present this information in a novel I must say, so let me let me um delineate the experience because earlier i was saying how i found it very difficult at the beginning you know and kept going to the kitchen and you know, restarting the film and so on and then it get, kind of gripped me but it also made me think that um now you know it's like the film gets better and better in the talking right <laughs> Uh, and I think that's I, yeah, one yeah. of those things that I yeah. miss and which is so great about doing the podcast, right? Because, you know, previously when you went to art cinema with your friends, you know, part of the pleasure, maybe most of the pleasure was was exactly that and piecing the film together with your friends and talking about and hashing it out and, you know, kind of what does this mean and what do they say and what was the reference here? I mean, there's a kind of conversation that I think is a necessary part of art cinema consumption that is almost now denied us really yeah you know i because you know those films are not available in cinema you often don't go see them with your friends and you often don't have the conversation after you know so um anyway just a thought which i think this is also you know a wonderful place that a podcast can occupy hopefully not just for us but for our <laughs> millions and millions of yes. listeners <laughs> well, absolutely millions of them yeah. alright uh, well uh, we are uh, thinking aloud about the film uh, I'm Jose I'm Richard thank you very much for listening bye bye